All right. If you have your Bibles, I want you to go with me to St. John, the 19th chapter. I'm starting a series this week called Perspectives, and this will run through Easter. And what I'm doing is taking a look at different people throughout Scripture and their perspective, what they saw, how they may have felt about Jesus. Keep in mind that the four Gospels are perspectives. When you're teaching apologetics, those four Gospels are some of the bedrock foundation of the fact that Scripture is authentic. Because if you had four Gospels that were exactly the same, that wouldn't lend to authenticity. It would rather make it seem like it had all been staged. If we go downtown and there's a bank robbery... When they interview us, we're all going to have different accounts based on what we saw. So you may have seen, you know, a man coming out of the bank holding a gun, and somebody else may have said, well, yeah, the, you know, there's somebody running out of the bank, but there was a lady over there that had a stroller burping a baby. It's their perspective. It's what caught their eye. And so the Gospels, that's what caught their eye. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these are things. Mark is giving an account of Peter's reflection or perspective. And so these are things that we all have, right? The unique thing about perspectives is it's like opinions. Everybody's got one. And so everybody has a perspective of what they saw and how they view Christ. Some people talk about Goliath, let's look at David and Goliath for just a second. Israel's perspective of Goliath was he is so big, how can anybody hit him? David's perspective of Goliath was he is so big, how can anybody miss him? And so it's all about perspectives. If you would turn with me there today, St. John 19, starting with verse 28. After this, everybody say that with me, after this. Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the Scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you, and we're so thankful, Father, to still be living in a land where we can openly worship you and declare your name. Help us never to take for granted that freedom. We ask you today, God, to speak to us, and Father, I'm asking you to speak through me. Let me be like a conduit, God, that you can flow through. My prayer is less of me and more of you. I give you thanks for that in Jesus' name. Amen perspectives. Everyone say, after this. So that's how the Scripture began, after this. Anytime you see something like that in Scripture where it says, after this or therefore, you should always look prior to that Scripture and find out what after this is talking about. After what? What took place that Jesus is now moving on from? How is he able to now say that, uh, that all things, knowing that all things were accomplished, now he's able to move on from there? The last thing that he did right before this chapter begins 
is he's taking care of his mother. He's hanging on a cross, dying, and he's making sure that his mother is going to be taken care of. I don't know how many of you have ever had an experience like that, but you know, probably at some point a large portion of us have where we've been at the bedside of a loved one saying goodbye. And in the process of saying goodbye, we've assured them it's okay to go now. I'm going to be all right. I remember when my mother was passing, one of my sisters were at the bedside letting her know, Mom, it's all right. Jim, her husband, he said, Jim's going to take care of me. It's going to be okay. Because it's hard for us to let go of those that we love. Where do you think the capacity to love came from? He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And so Jesus could not move on until he made sure that his mother is taken care of. He looks at his mother from the cross and he says, woman, behold thy son. Woman was not a derogatory term in those days. It was an endearing term. You call your mom a woman now and you're going to find out what kind of woman she is. <laughs> but he, he says, woman, behold thy son. Now, do you really think that Jesus is saying, hey, Mary, take a look at me hanging up here? John is standing next to Mary. And so when he says, woman, behold thy son, he's referencing John. How do you know that? Because of what he says next. He looks at John and he said, behold thy mother. And the Bible said that from that hour he took her home and he took care of her. Jesus was always taking care of people. I mean, it's his nature. It's what he does. When you love someone, you care for them. How many of you have ever had a baby? You know, well, I mean, <laughs> she's had my baby. If, you, if you've ever had a baby, aren't babies wonderful? They can do absolutely nothing. Stop and think about it. All they do is gurgle, cry, and make messes. Oh, I want one for Christmas. I mean, stop and think about this because the logic of a baby, you know, who, you know a baby, man, I, and, and man, the messes they can make. I went through three diapers trying to change one. But that baby is endeared by their parents. It's not about what they can do for you. It's about the love that you have for them. God help us to understand that from his perspective, it's never been about what we could do for him. It's always been about the love he has for us. Aren't you glad of that? So, I want to speak to you for just the prelude to the message. I, 
I want to speak to you for just a moment today on it is finished. Would you say that with me? It is finished. Jesus' nature draws him to people that are hurting. I said before, he's always taking care of people and not just good people, not just righteous people. How many of you have ever acted up? Okay. That didn't work out too well. I want you to point a finger at somebody that has acted. <laughs> I went back here. I don't, I'm looking back here, man. Two fingers went like that to one person. I don't know what that relationship was, but that's. <laughs> We've all been there, haven't we? We've all acted up at times. And, but Jesus doesn't care for just the righteous. He he loves us all. Look at Matthew, the tw ninth chapter, 10th verse. It says, later, Matthew invited Jesus. How many of you know who Matthew was? Let me just clarify. Matthew is an IRS guy. And you know how much they're loved, right? The, I mean, how many of you, how many of you call up the IRS every year and invite them over for dinner? I didn't think so. Matter of fact, when you get a letter from them, what, what's your heart do? It just starts, man, are you kidding? What's the IRS writing me about? And I've never, look, I don't get, they've never sent me a Christmas card. You know, so it's not, there's not pleasant memories about that. That's the equivalent of what Matthew is. He's a tax collector. And so there's no love loss between tax collectors and the people. But here is Matthew inviting Jesus to his house for dinner. And the scripture said, <laughs> along with many other tax collectors and disreputable sinners. That kind of shows you where the scripture put the IRS right in there with all the, oh man, I hope we're not online. Right now. I was just kidding, guys. Just <laughs> disreputable sinners. And so what ends up happening is he goes, and, and when he goes, it says the Pharisees saw this, and they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? Do you ever wonder what somebody really thought about you? <laughs> it's just right out there in the open with such scum. Man, if God had felt about sinners... The way the Pharisees described them, none of us would have ever been saved. Aren't you glad that he cares? When Jesus heard this, here's Jesus' response to this. When he heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Then he added, now you go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. He said, go find out what this scripture means. I want you to show. Here's, he says, I want you to show mercy and not offer sacrifices. The law could never save us. What the law did was reveal to us how far we were from God. 
So according to the law, you had to offer sacrifices because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. However, the Scripture also said that it's impossible for the blood of goats and bullocks to be able to forgive sin. So what that was doing, those sacrifices just kept pushing it ahead. You know, when COVID hit here and everybody was unsure of what was going to happen, I called the bank and I said, hey, I, I may want you to freeze our loan. I may, I, I may need a moratorium. I don't know what's going to happen financially. I said, Is that, are you going to be able to do that? They said, oh, yes, no problem. I said, now, when you do that, you're going to freeze interest as well, Right? Right? They said, no. I said, what? No. I said, well, forget your moratorium. If you're not going to see that, I want you to think about this. I could have resolved all the world's financial issues during COVID if somebody would have just asked. I said, if you're going to freeze, if, if, you're go if, if people are out of work, then freeze all their payments. Nobody pays anything, nobody, so just freeze everything until we get back. Nobody did it. He said, no, no, you gotta, you gotta keep paying. And that's exactly how the devil treats us. He says, oh, oh, I'll give you a pass, I'll make you feel like everything is okay, but all your sins are still gonna be heaping up and all your guilt and all your mess, and there's going to be a payday someday. It just keeps coming. Jesus is telling them God's heart was never about you offering sacrifices. The heart of God is about showing mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Did you ever see someone that was real judgmental? You know what I'm talking about? Did they ever look back at you in a mirror? I've been there, folks. I, 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 I shared this with you. I want to share it again. When that lady, years ago, when that lady put her children in a car and drove them off into a river, I stood in Walmart in Philadelphia, Mississippi. I looked at the headline on the paper, and this is what, I didn't even say this out of my mouth. I just thought this in my mind, and I said, they ought to put her in a car, drive her off in a river, and let her see what she did to those children. And God is my witness. The Lord spoke to me in the middle of Walmart, and this is what I heard him say. That's what she needs, somebody else to hate her. I, I, I didn't even, that wasn't my perspective. I didn't feel like I was hating her, but God sees the intent of the heart, and he understood what was going on in me. And I said, God, and all of a sudden, man, it, he didn't stop there. He said, the way you judge others is the way I'm going to judge you. And I began to pray for that lady, and I said, God, save her. God, just reach out and touch her because sometimes we don't want it coming back to us the way we deal it out to others. Perspective.
he knew how to reach those that were in need. He knew how to come to the rescue. Just ask the woman that was caught in adultery. Come on! Stop. This woman was caught in the very act of adultery. The law says to stone her. What do you say? Well, speak up. What do you say? Those of you without sin, go ahead, cast the first stone. Accusers. I, I have them, Lord. Then rise up. Go and sin no more. I'm free. I'm free. Me. I'm free. I'm free. Sometimes it's hard to fathom that you could be free because what you've been through has been so traumatic. What you've experienced has been so heartbreaking that you feel like you could never be restored. He asked the question, where are your accusers? <laughs> I think about how powerful God is that with a word, he can clear the room of all those that are pointing fingers. <laughs> I never knew what it was he wrote, but I often wondered if he didn't start writing down their sins. Matter of fact, one translation, when you look at that, he that's without sin, one of the translations renders it, that, that, that phrase could mean he that hasn't done the same thing. The Bible said that she was caught, they, the, the Pharisees said she was taken in adultery in the very act. So here's my question. If she was caught in the very act, where's the man? Because the law didn't condemn just the woman. It takes two to tango, folks. The man should have been there as well. Or could it be that she was just a pawn in a game that they were playing trying to catch Jesus? 
And she just became a casualty to them. They didn't care about her. If they'd cared about the law, both man and woman would have been there. They didn't care anything about the law. They were just trying to trap the one uh, that could set us free, uh, that could liberate us, that could give us our dreams back, uh, that could let us live again. He looked and he said, neither do I condemn thee. There was really only one person there that day that could have cast a stone because there was only one person there that was without sin. And he said, I'm not going to condemn you. You're free. But that's not what all he said. Now listen, go and sin no more. Don't let the devil drag you back into the pit that God got you out of. Don't allow him to take you back where God rescued you from. I, I never forget when I was in working a secular job, they used to make us watch this slide presentation called the convincer. It was a safety uh, presentation. And it was real pictures of people... I, I saw one guy that had his hand blown off with dynamite. It was, a, it was a live shot of it. It was a real picture of it. A guy whose leg had been cut from here, the lower part of it, and they held his leg up. And I'm looking at this stuff, and I'm thinking, man, you come out of there with your hands in your pocket. You don't want to touch nothing. It's like you're so afraid to, to, to move, to touch anything. But they told a story about a man that had been working at a press and he, it, it was, he would slide these things in and, and trigger a button with his foot. And he was sliding it in, triggering it with his foot and he, he got to moving too fast and he got out of sync and he slid in and hit the button and it came down and smashed his hand. His hand's completely smashed. He was running around holding his hand. And they looked at him and they said, what happened? What happened? Without thinking, he ran back over to the machine. He, he, he was showing them what happened and he did it to his other hand. The same thing. How is it? We, we hear things like that and we think, how stupid was that? But how many times have we find ourselves in a similar situation where all of a sudden we, we find ourselves in pain and God rescues us and we end up doing the very same thing again and we're hurting again. Now here's the good news. You've got a God that loves you so much that he'd rather die for you than live without you. And so he never leaves you or forsakes you, but he goes with you. He goes to rescue you. She said, I'm free. Sounded more like a question at first. I'm, I'm free? Could it be? Have you ever felt that way? I mean, are, are you, is this for real? I'm, I'm really free. I've often wondered what a man that was sitting on death row felt like when at the last moment a governor called 
and pardoned him. Everybody say pardoned. It's not that the guy's not guilty. It's that he got pardoned. You see, we all bear guilt, don't we? The Bible said, for all have sinned. Oh, but I didn't sin like you. <laughs> Doesn't matter. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've got a measuring scale for sin. Oh, you did a really big one. Mine was just a little one. All have sinned. We all need him. Everybody say it with me. We all need him. She thought her life was over and discovered it was just beginning. <laughs> she had to find the courage and the strength to begin again. Have you ever been there where you had the you had to think about this, man? She'd just been made a public ridicule. I mean, she's in front of God and everybody. She's thrown in the street. Everybody knows what she's done. And now Jesus forgives her. She's got to find the strength to get up and to move forward and not allow the shame of her past to rob her of her future. I was talking to an individual here, you know, a few months ago, and I was talking to them, and they were saying, but I'm so afraid that my past will catch up to me, that my, my past people will discover what happened. And I said, why would you be afraid that people would discover what happened? I said, if somebody drags your past up to you, you ought to stand up, smile real big, and say, yeah, isn't God's grace amazing? Isn't it something what God can do? Don't let the devil holds something over your head and try and shame you with it and put you down with it you need to be able to stand up and say hey whom the son is set free is free indeed I'm free I've been pardoned that ought to make you want to jump and shout we don't want anybody to know our stuff we don't want anybody to know that we messed up I got news for you I know y'all messed up I may not know how you messed up, but I know you messed up. I wear the same garment. What's that garment say? Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. <laughs> See, I messed up too. Can I let you in on a little secret? Every once in a while, not very often now, mind you, but every once in a while, I'm so glad. I thought he was coming up here to stone me. <laughs> every, every once in a while, I still mess up. Some jerk, I mean somebody, will cut me off in traffic. And all of a sudden, the love of God just surges up through me. And I try and chase them down to tell them all about it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. His work, his grace is amazing. I thought about what that woman felt and how she must have 
walked away from there kind of in a daze and made me thinking, is this for real or am I dreaming? First Corinthians 5 and 7, or I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 5 and 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. Everybody say, old things passed away. So why do you keep digging it up again? What do you do with something that's old? That, what do you do with something that passed away? You bury it, right? You either bury it or it starts stinking. You bury it. So once it's buried, quit digging it up. The Bible says as far as the east is from the west, that he removes our sin from us. That it's cast into a sea of forgetfulness. Now, I want you to think about this. God, the only way that God is going to be reminded of your sin is as if you keep dragging it up to him. Because he's chosen to forget it. When you go to God and you say, you remember when I did this? And he's going to say, I don't know what you're talking about, man. That's under the blood. See, we have troubles forgetting. Oh, just forget it. Do you ever have somebody, you know, do something to you? And you say, oh, that's all right. Just forget it. You know, they're trying to, they're trying to, I never forget. I was, I was working in a, in a, uh, Restaurant, thank you. I was working in a restaurant, coughing and watering tables, and I used to get bored, you know. And so I, I, I take a cup of coffee, I take a cup, and I take a coffee pot, and I take it away from the table, and I take the coffee pot like this, and I would start pouring, and I would come up like this, and I'd have a stream of coffee hitting that cup, and I'd come down with it. And I had people say, "Man, I may get burnt when I get home, but I'm going to try that." And it was, you know, it was kind of like a sideshow at the at the table. It was an expensive restaurant, and one guy, one guy, would not let me have his coffee cup. He held it right over, you know, and and it made me nervous because I always took it away from. No, 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 you do it right here. You do it right here. I said, "No, let me take." No, no, you do it here. So I pull, I I, I pull that thing up, man, and I spilled coffee all over his lap. I didn't have any trouble getting his coffee cup after that. He said, well, I asked for coffee and I got it. See, sometimes we get burnt through our own actions. It's not that God did it to us. It's that we did it to ourselves. How many of you have ever done something stupid? I can look, I see some of you right now, you should have raised your hands way up in the air. I'm not calling out any names, Marty, but <laughs> we've, we've all been there, right? We've all done stuff. And, and the thing is, is listen, I, I know you say, well, you're kind of an unconventional pastor. Look, man, I put my pants on the same way everybody else does. I don't know how to walk on water. But I do know how to listen to the one that calls you out of the boat. Don't be afraid to step out of the boat when he's calling for you. Because if he's calling for you, he's going to keep you afloat. Amen. I can't help but think that the lady that day, the lady that was caught in adultery, 
I can't help but think that she was in the crowd the day that Jesus was crucified. Do you ever stop and consider that? Do you ever think about that? Do you think someone that had had their life restored to them, not showing up when the person that gave you hope is in a hopeless situation? I believe she was in the crowd that day. I believe a man by the name of Bartimaeus was in the crowd that day. And that was probably the only time since Jesus had given him back his sight that he wished he couldn't see again because of what they saw, what he saw them do to him. They took a whip that was mingled with lead and bone and plowed his back like an open field. In a book called The Anatomy of Calvary, it said that if you had shown a bright light at Jesus' chest after that beating, you could have seen rays of light coming through his back. They beat him until his face was so bruised and swollen it was unrecognizable. Isaiah said that his visage was marred more than any man or his image. They watched there that day, Lazarus that had heard the power of his voice call him out of a grave since he'd been there for four days, now watches this man on the verge of entering a grave and he's helpless to do anything. And he's watching that and he sees that crown of thorns beat down over his head and the pain excruciating going through his body. They watched as they spit on him, as they mocked him. They watched with a host of others who Jesus had rescued, who Jesus had given hope to. They watched helplessly. And then they hear him Say something. Let me tell you what he did not say. They did not hear him say, I am finished. No, not by a long shot. He didn't say, I'm done. He didn't say, I'm finished and I'm through. What he did say is, it is finished. Like a man that had just completed a great task, someone that had just done a great work and stepped back from it and looked at it complete and done, he said, it is finished. And I'm telling you, it was finished. That's the thief on the cross that had been hanging next to him. When all of a sudden this man is dying, he looks at Jesus who is physically in worse shape than he is. He's just hanging on the cross. Jesus had been beaten to a pulp. He'd been whipped and ripped. And he looked at 
Jesus and he said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Why would you ask someone dying to remember you unless he understood that that's not just a man hanging there, but that's more than a man. That, my friend, is a son of God. And he understood that even while he's breathing his last breath, he's still setting people free. And he looked at him, and before he said it is finished, he looked at that thief and said, today you're going to be with me in paradise. This isn't a time to hang your head. This isn't a time to give up. This isn't a time to crash your course or let your heart be broken again. It's a time to stand up and say, whom the Son is set free is free indeed. It is finished. Whatever tried to take you out, he's already taken out. (laughs) He said, he came and led captivity captive. Gary, can I borrow you just a second? He said that he came and he led captivity captive and he gave gifts unto men. Grab, grab hold of me and hang on to me around my arms. Not my waist, my arms. I love you, but okay. So, so squeeze. So he's got me captive. Now, what did Jesus do? He said he came to lead captivity captive. So what held you, he broke free turned it around, twisted its arm up over his back, grabbed hold of it, and said, you're not going to hurt my people anymore. And he went, thank you. Do you understand what he did? The Bible said as Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man entered the heart of the earth. Jesus stepped in on the devil's own territory, started knocking on the gate of hell, and all of a sudden the devil saying, hey man, don't, don't go see who that is. We got a party going on here. We can't be disturbed. I can see the demon go look at the peephole at the gate of hell. Come back and say, boss, we got some trouble. (laughs) What are you talking about? You remember when he said, it is finished? Yeah? Yeah, we took care of him. No, 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 boss. No. It's not, it is finished. It's, we are finished. It's, we're, we're done for, man. That guy, he's not dead. He's alive. He's standing at the gate and he's got the keys of death, hell, and the grave. It's time for us to rise up and say, Here I am, God. I believe what you said. I'll do what you said I can do. It's time for us to recognize that it is finished. When he breathed his last breath, you need to remember what happened. In Matthew, the 27th chapter and 51st verse, it says, at that moment, this is, this is after Jesus says, it's finished. Instantly, said, at that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to the bottom. Do you understand the significance of that? In the temple, there was a very thick curtain. They said that if you'd have tied two horses to it, that they would have trouble pulling it apart. That's how strong that material was. 
it separated the holy place from the most holy place. It was a place you and I were not allowed into. Only the high priest, and he could only go in once a year. They tied a rope around his ankle because if he goes in and he messes up, he's a dead man. There would be a bell hanging to his garment, and if they heard the bell stop ringing, they would pull him out. The law kept us from him, but Jesus brought us to him. He tore the veil from the top to the bottom. Not man, not from the bottom to the top, but God himself tore the veil. And now we are no longer separated from him. It says in that moment that rocks begin to split apart. At one point, Jesus had come to the crowd and when they were yelling, Hosanna, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. And they looked at Jesus and they said, command that these hold their peace. And Jesus made the statement and said, if these hold their peace, the very rocks will cry out. That day when the crowd was yelling, crucify him and nobody was saying, Hosanna, the rocks had had enough. And they started splitting apart to declare, he's Lord, he's King of kings and Lord of lords. tombs hear this because this is important for us tombs graves opened up and godly men and women rose up out of the grave and they stayed there until the day that Jesus resurrected They're alive, but they can't move yet. Can't walk out, but the day he walked out, they walked out. What's so important to us about that? If the Lord tarry one day, they'll take my lifeless body and they'll put it in the ground. Don't cry for me, because I'm not done yet. It is finished, but I'm not finished. <laughs> and because he rose from the grave, there ain't no grave going to be able to hold our bodies down. That lady there that day that had been exposed for public ridicule and shame had the giver of life speak hope to her life. But she had to find the courage and the strength to begin again. You do too. There are chapters in my life that I'm not proud of. I'd like to be able to rip that page out. But you understand those chapters are what bring glory to God how could my sin bring glory to God because it revealed the glory of God he saved me whatever it is you're facing whatever it is that's trying to take you out 
you need to understand that it is finished. Not you, but what's tried to take you out is done. He's promised us that we've been made more than a conqueror through him that loved us. He's promised us that greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. But we have to find the strength to stand up, the courage to say, here I am, and the boldness to move forward. Are you ready for it? I want you to stretch your hands. I'm going to ask the prayer team to come right now. I want you to just stretch your hands to heaven with me. You know, I'm excited because of what I see happening. He said, well, what do you see happening? I see God apprehending lives and raising them up. You know, for a long time, what would happen, you got saved. You go, okay, now you, that's good. You saved. Now you go sit on a church pew and I'll call you when I need you. That's religion, folks. When Jesus sent his disciples to go get a donkey, <laughs> you do understand that in the law, that a donkey and man are synonymous. All you have to do is look. You could not redeem a donkey with a lamb. And the only other thing you couldn't that you could not offer a donkey as a sacrifice. It had to be redeemed with a lamb. The only other thing that you were not allowed to offer as a sacrifice was a man. It had to be redeemed with a lamb. John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. That day he sent to get a donkey that was tied at a place where two ways met. Don't anybody get offended at me, but we are that donkey. At a crossroads in life where two ways meet. We can either go with him or we can go the opposite direction. But listen to the words of Jesus. You tell the person, if anybody says anything to you, you tell them that the Lord has need of him. He has need of you today. He loves you. He cares about you and he has need of you. He wants to display his grace through your life. He wants the world to be able to see you and say, man, I remember what those people used to be. Look at them now. Grace on display. So if you're in here today, and you got some stuff going on, he can take care of your stuff. You're in here today, and he's already taken care of your stuff, but the devil keeps trying to intimidate you and make you feel like you ain't nothing. He can take care of that too. Because he wants you to understand that because of him, you are really more than a conqueror. Would you just stretch your hands to heaven with me right now? If you're in this place and you say, Pastor, I'm ready for God's grace to be on display in my life. I want you to come and stand with us up here today. If you're in this place and maybe you haven't experienced the grace of God yet, 
or you haven't acknowledged it publicly yet. Now hear me. Scripture says that if you be ashamed of me before men, I'll be ashamed of you before my Father. Remember what I told that individual? Why would you let the devil intimidate you with your past? It's a testimony to the grace of God. Are you ready for God to move for you? I'm going to do something a little different today, maybe. I'm going to, I, Becca, would you come and stand up here? Kelsey, would you come and stand up here for just a second? BJ, would you come and stand up here with me for just a second? Say, Faith, would you come and stand up here just a second? You say, what are you, what are you doing, Pastor? I'm, I'm highlighting some of God's handiwork. Yes. Oh, yes. Now, I'm not doing this to embarrass anybody, so I don't want you to be embarrassed at all. But I know what it's like to sit back and feel a certain way about yourself and your perspective is all wrong. And then God has to come in and show you who you really are. Show you that you're not what everybody said about you. You are who he said you are. I've seen, I've seen God over, over the last, I guess, month, maybe month and a half. I've seen God, BJ, I saw God touch you in a way that, and, and we'd been kind of separated because, you know, your job had taken you outside. But I, I watched God touch you in a way. And this is what I, I, I want to say about that is it was, I knew it was so genuine because I know you. And I knew that the only way you're going to wind up in the floor <laughs> is if God touched you in a <laughs> yes. very powerful way. You know, I've, I've heard of courtesy drops and I've seen it, folks. I've, I've been on the road for, or I was on the road for over 20 years. I've seen about everything you can think of. Some people walk away and they say, well, you know, that's just fake or that's just phony. I looked at them and I said, do you ever hear of counterfeit money? He said, yeah. I said, well, it never stopped me from using the real stuff. <laughs> and I'm telling you, there's a God that is so real, that is so powerful. BJ, he's at work in your life, and, and he's doing something special, not just for you, but for you and your family. Yes. And there's a, there's a coming together. On, it's, it's like when you make bread. You know, bread's got several different ingredients in it, but once everything gets put in that loaf, you can't get it back out. It's there together. And God is creating a bond for you and your family. And that work is just beginning. The best is still yet to come, folks. Yes. Would you just stretch your hands to heaven with me? Father, I thank you for what you're doing 
God, for this family. perspective that has changed. Yes. Can you give God a hand clap of praise? I could have called I could have called several of you out today, but I didn't I don't have time to go through each one. Faith struggled with she was watching online and I didn't even know who she was. And and she was messaging and and then all of a sudden she felt compelled to move. Tennessee? Tennessee? From Tennessee. You know, it's one thing to drive on occasion, but she sold everything, packed up and moved because she felt like God was calling her. How far are you willing to go for him? And now she's already being used. God, Ray told me, he said, man, our, our meetings are so much more powerful now. We got praise and worship in them and it's, and everything's just transforming and changing perspective. Kelsey, <laughs> and he, all you got to do is watch the broadcast, man. Kelsey was so transparent with her struggle. And the last time she said, I still struggle. You know, that's the key, Kelsey, that a lot of times people forget. They forget that there's nothing wrong with a struggle. As a matter of fact, when you struggle, it shows you're still fighting. So don't ever let the devil bring shame on you through your thought process or say, well, you don't understand, I messed up back here. It doesn't matter what anybody else says. It's about God. And he's already told you, he said, I'm not walking away from you. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to, I'm going to see you through this. When you're trying to walk, when you first start walking, nobody starts walking without falling. It's part of the process. What makes that process worth it is the fact that you keep getting up and refuse to just lay there. Amen. Father, I thank you for what you're doing for Kelsey today. We praise you, God, for what you're He's working in her. Us to walk out of the dark. In Jesus' name. Oh, thank you, Father. Becca got a new perspective of herself. She lived her life according to what other people said about her. And because of that, she was so pushed down that she didn't even feel like she could raise up. And then all of a sudden, God miraculously showed her that's not who she was. 
and it's like a whole new person has been born. And that's really what this is about. It said, old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And look, she's excited about where she's headed. She knows now that she's got purpose. How many of you understand you've got a purpose? Just stretch your hands to heaven with me and say it with me. I've got a purpose. Father, I thank you for it right now in Jesus' name. This is what I want you to do. Would you just stretch your hands this way, everyone? Daryl, not Daryl. Yeah, Daryl. We've seen God working in Daryl's life and what what he's doing for him and how he's getting excited and moving forward. Look, this I, w- I want to end this way today. If you want God to work in your life, now look, I, 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 if you want to just come to church and sit on a pew, it's okay. I get that. I couldn't do it. But if that's what you're comfortable with, that's all right. For me, there had to be such a reality to God that it apprehended who I was and transformed me because I wasn't interested in going and sitting on some church pew. If you want God to use you, then I want you just to stretch your hands as high as you can right where you're at. Say it with me. It is finished. You know, the struggle's so real. Matter of fact, you felt it this week, man. It's so real. It's so real, but he's real too. You have to understand that he doesn't just leave you to try and fight your way through. He shows up right when you feel like you're getting ready to go under. He shows up and says, you're free. I'm not going to condemn you. I'm I'm not putting you down. I'm raising you up you stretch those hands to heaven. I got to tell you something, folks, and you, you need to get ready for this. We are plugging in to a move of God that will be unlike anything we have seen before. And you, you need to understand that God intends to use you. So you, you better just get ready for it and say, here I am, God. Come on, try it out with me. Here I am, God. Use me. Father, we thank you for it right now. God, we declare your spirit over every individual in this building that you rise up inside of them. Let them feel the power of your spirit going through them. Let them understand that they're the head and not the tail, that they're above and not beneath, that you have a plan and a purpose and you're bringing it to full fruition. And we give you praise for it right now in Jesus' name. Come on and love him. Sing it, guys.